This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. All right, welcome everybody back to another edition of the Sports Biz Pod. We've had some amazing guests the past few weeks, and we have another really amazing guest, Hakeem Valles, a good friend of mine. And he has a very interesting story where he is a, a true bred entrepreneur. He's a founder of Perspective Global Media. He's he's played in the NFL for teams like the Giants, the Cardinals, the Lions. He's amassed a following of over 200,000 on TikTok, very savvy with real estate, media, entertainment, Hakeem, great to have you. How are you doing? Nick, I'm doing great, man. Really appreciate you uh, having me on the show. Excited to uh, excited to be on. Been seeing all the content coming out from this show. Uh, I feel honored. Awesome. Well, you know, when I first found out about your story, it was about a, a few years ago when we put on an event at the 4040 Club, and you spoke at that, and you, and you crushed it. I think you you kind of stole the show. You had some amazing stories about you know making it into the NFL and the climb and, and, and the challenges. So maybe at a high level, could you give, you know, the listeners a little bit about your background and kind of who you are now? Yeah. So uh, I've, you know, prided myself as a lifelong entrepreneur. Uh, you know, I was, I was that kid, you know, middle school who had two backpacks. One had Skittles in it. One had the books in it and was hustling Skittles. Uh, you know, I was that kid cutting grass all across town, you know, college came around. I was the iPhone repair guy. I used to fix anywhere from three to four phones a day. Uh, my degree in college was business with a concentration in real estate. So during undergrad, I was able to flip around 10 houses with uh, my ex-girlfriend's dad, uh, which was amazing, kind of getting a college, real life, real estate experience. Um, once I made it to the NFL, I, I continued uh, my real estate and entrepreneurial ventures uh, you know, bought an apartment building my rookie year when I was with the Arizona Cardinals, bought a duplex my second year when I was with the Lions, bought a 40-acre cannabis farm in Michigan uh, while I was with the Lions. And then after retiring, uh, kind of tripled down into my entrepreneurial passions, you know, launched Perspective Global Media. Uh, we're a TikTok consulting agency uh, at a high level. Um, <clears throat> and then outside of that, you know, I'm on the sidelines right now for real estate. I don't think uh, right now is the greatest time to buy property with my own personal investing theses. Um, and then just trying to figure out the best ways to give and provide value with my content on a day-to-day basis. Mm-hmm. Dude, I love that. And I can relate to the, the stickle, uh, the, the Skittles uh, hustle. That was my middle school hustle as well, where, you know, they don't have the vending machines with the best quality, you know, candies, so you might as well, you know, sling that from your backpack. So respect to that. Um, but kind of want to segue to where, you know, you've been able to kind of put your money to work, especially getting that type of NFL check. And you see a lot of problems with NFL players with, you know, going bankrupt after um, playing the games, but obviously you've been able to kind of tap into that entrepreneurial game and, and invest smartly. So what do you think is the biggest problem with a lot of NFL players going bankrupt after retirement? 
You know, I think, you know, I, I've put out a, a couple pieces of content on this and it's been misconstrued some way, some shape, some form sometimes. I think at the end of the day, it ultimately comes down to ac accountability. At the end of the day, nobody owes you anything. Nobody owes you not even education at the end of the day of showing you this is how you do X, Y, Z. At the end of the day, we're not taught financial literacy in school. Um, so instead of being, you know, victim forever and screaming, ah, we're not taught financial literacy from school next year. We're not taught financial literacy from, from school next year. We're not taught. <laughs> Obviously, I'm harping on that point, but at some point you got to, you know, take the personal responsibility and be accountable for your own financial literacy. And do I think the NFL has failed its athletes in that sense? Yes. But do I still think it's on the responsibility of that athlete? Yes. Um, when you think though, and you, you know, you break it down systematically on how players have ended up in this space, ended up in this, you know, three years I'm removed from the sport and, you know, I'm bankrupt now. How that happens, I think it's a lot deeper than just the surface level. This guy spent a whole bunch of money on jewelry, clubbing, and, you know, things about in, like insecure objects that you know fuel their insecurity at the end of the day i don't think it's that surface level i think it goes deeper to the the, the space of you know your average professional athlete just football in general statistically is coming from more or less of a lower income background mm -hmm. um and because of ncaa rules if they weren't you know a hustler like me and they weren't fixing phones flipping houses due to ncaa rules you can't have a job mm -hmm. in college if you're a d1 athlete because of the nil previously mm -hmm. um so you're taking this and you know from since they've been a kid for the most part they've probably been a three-sport athlete or did travel sports aau over the summer so couldn't have your typical summer job as people who weren't athletes did and now you take that same 22 23 year old who's never had an, a real relationship with money because they've never made their own money Mm -hmm. And now, you know, your average person thinks that professional athletes, just like any other profession, is paid 52 weeks out of the year. Mm -hmm. But in reality, it's only 17 when it comes to the NFL. So you're taking a young rookie. My rookie year, the, the minimum wage was 450000 a year. And when you break that down, divided by 52 weeks, that's around eight grand a week. But when you break it down to, to, to 17 weeks, it's $26,000 a week that you're giving a young 22, 23-year-old who's never had a prior relationship with money. And when that person sees that money, it's very easy to go, okay, I made 26. I can now spend 10000 this week and save 16, and I'm okay. Next week, make 26 spend 10, save 16, mm -hmm. do that an entire season. January 1st comes around, you make zero, spend 10, save nothing. Mm -hmm. And by the time we get back around to next September, there's guys who, if they don't make the team, can't pay their mortgage. If they don't make the team, can't pay their car note. And it's, it's wildly parallel to your lottery ticket winner. No one judges the lottery ticket winner when they win X amount of millions of dollars and they go broke three years later, it's expected mm -hmm. because anyone no matter how much money you have if you don't have financial literacy you'll inevitably go broke and there's no difference when it comes to a professional athlete mm -hmm. yeah no it's a discipline that's a really good point there um something you mentioned as well with just the collegiate athletics and and the state of that there's kind of two sides i want to take away that obviously want to hear your story because you have a really impressive story from going from college into the NFL. Um, but before that, I, I want to hear kind of what is a high level, you know, what do you think is the problem right now with college athletics, name, image, and likeness, and kind of what we're about to go endure in the next few years? 
Oh, that's a great question. I think the biggest problem is it's going to be there's a lot of sharks in the water and there's going to be a lot of people, just like there's a lot of people taking advantage of NFL and other pro athletes. I mean, there's a lot of, uh, what's the word? Uh, what's the word? Uh, safety barrier, safety measures in place now for pro athletes so they don't get screwed over by this financial advisor, by this marketing rep, by this agent. But that's after the years and years and years and years and years and years of just vultures that have taken advantage of those athletes and i think there's going to be some sort of parallel in the college space with that mm -hmm. uh i think it's the, the the process isn't going to roll out as fast as we think it is and on from a democratic every conference every fbs fcs every conference like across the board because there's too much money involved mm -hmm. and the ncaa is going to get theirs first at the end of the day and I think this NIL, which is amazing because it creates a free market for the athletes, um, it's threatening the, the castle, the kingdom that's already been built by the NCAA. So naturally, there's going to be pushback. Naturally, there's going to be delays. Naturally, there's going to be, okay, SEC can do it, but Big Ten can't do it, and ACC can or can't do it, or FCS can do it, but to only this level. And I don't think I don't know, but I don't think it's going to be as open of a free market as we think it is. Yeah. Um, but I think the biggest problem is going to be vultures. Athletes are going to trust people that have that are good with words, and those people who are who have the good words, who are providing opportunities, like I said, are just vultures. They see an opportunity. Oh, we can make money off of college athletes now. Let's make a quick product really quick and sell it to them, or let's be the middleman and broker deals and. I also think because of these athletes never being in the position to make money or have these type of opportunities, they don't, they don't understand their true worth on top of that. Mm -hmm. Meaning, you know, in a, you know, in a NFL type of marketing relationship with someone, you know, the industry standard is that marketing rep is going to take 20% of whatever deals that they negotiate and bring to them or less, depending on the caliber of athlete. But now I could see why, why wouldn't a marketing rep say, I'm going to take 40%, you'll take 60. I'm going to take 60%, you'll take 40 because it's a $30,000 deal. And that athlete's still going to leave with X amount of money, which because it's, that's just shiny, it's shiny ball syndrome. Mm -hmm. When these athletes have never seen or been presented opportunities before, uh, especially of mass, like a mass, like $6,000 to a college athlete is a million dollars to someone who's out of college. Mm -hmm. And when you're telling someone, I just got this amazing deal from so-and-so and so-and-so, like, I'm going to broker it, blah, 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 blah. you're going to make six grand, but that person is also making 40 grand on their own. Like, mm -hmm. I think it sounds super extreme of what I'm saying, but it's going to happen. Yep. And because of the vigor of a college schedule and college routine, it's a lot easier for those athletes to hand it off to these different people to take care of uh, these different opportunities. And then I think even contract negotiation, these athletes, depending on what the university puts in, in, in place of what type of legal representation are these athletes gonna have? Because now you're gonna have athletes signing, you know, exclusive agreements with these marketing firms that they only can take agreements from this firm and they're going to be missing out on hundreds of thousands of dollars of opportunity. Um, but obviously I'm not, I'm not negative Nancy. I think there's millions of millions and millions and millions of positive reasons, but those are what I believe the negatives are.
Yeah, there's, there's a lot of ways it can go wrong and right. I think that's going to be a huge recruiting tool as well with how these universities deal and conferences deal with that and the, the process they have in place to make sure it's fair for the athletes and they're getting their fair worth. Um, but as well, you know, people kind of looking on the outside, it's not going to make you know, so many student athlete millionaires, maybe the top of the top, they're going to do the big deals with the beats, with the bows, with the, 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 um, the blue chip type brands. But if you look at, you know, like a car dealership in Alabama and they're doing it with an Alabama offensive line, like that's probably a more feasible marketing deal rather than these big, um, you know, mega deals that, that maybe people are perceiving, but. hundred percent. But I do believe that with this free market, I think now, though, it gives the person not at Alabama, the person at Alabama State, the person at Tuskegee yep. University, the opportunity to now build their brand on TikTok, to start their own podcast, to build their brand and personality on LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. So the person in Tuskegee can make deals with the car dealership in Mobile, Alabama, because they've now, although they've got one touchdown in a three-year college career, but they've amassed a half a million followers on their TikTok account, it now puts them in the position to earn or maybe even out earn people who are better than them on the field, which is why I love this opportunity because I was, you know, I had three touchdowns in college at the end of the day. And I think the NIL would have lit my eyes up and I would have burned the whole thing down in the best way possible. <laughs> no, I love that. And, and see what you're doing now. It's super impressive with TikTok. kind of back forward a little bit. Um, talk about your, your play, um, your career in college and, you know, how you were able to go, you know, switching positions a little bit. Um, you know, you say you caught three touchdowns and you still made the NFL. Talk about that story. That's really impressive. My college career was different than most. And honestly, it's a small a mini motivator for some of those high school kids out there who are like, you know, my COVID, COVID's taken away my senior season. Now I won't be able to get recruited. Now I won't be able to go to college. I only have one scholarship and I was hoping for this school scholarship or whatever, whatever. You know, me personally, I, I got tore my labrum in my shoulder two days before my first game, my senior year of high school. So I did not, just like a lot of players out there who can't play because of COVID, I could not play my senior year because of that. And my high school team was mediocre, below average at best. I and mean, we might only have like three wins on my time on varsity of my entire, you know, sophomore, junior, senior year in high wow. school. So we weren't that good. There wasn't a bunch of schools on our radar looking at our players. So coming out, you know, I went, I, I had one scholarship from Monmouth University because I went to their camp junior year going into senior year, which a lot of people are, you know, asking, how do I get a scholarship? Just go to, go to camp, sign up for camps, pay the 40 bucks, 20 bucks, or get the fee waived and do your thing. If you're good enough, schools will give you scholarships. But I went to Monmouth University and, you know, I'm thinking I'm going to be the next big thing as wide receiver. And there's this guy named Neil Sterling, who's, he played, I think, three, four leagues, uh, th three, four years in the league as well. Um, but he was a receiver in front of me and same size, same weight, same everything. And I'm like, man, I just being self-aware, I know I'm not even close to as good as how good he is. And started to put the work in freshman year, redshirted, sat the bench. Redshirt freshman year, sat the bench. Redshirt sophomore year, sat the bench. Redshirt uh, junior year, uh, no, junior year, redshirt sophomore year, sat the bench. Redshirt junior year, senior year of academically. I was like, damn, I'm not gonna, I, first off, I'm trash and I'm not even playing on the field. Second of all, I, I'm not even gonna be able to get an MBA now because I didn't play. So they're not granting me a fifth year. So what the hell is college even for? I'm just gonna have a bachelor's degree from Monmouth University and like, that doesn't really mean much in today's society. And that's literally, this is exactly what my mind process was. And I'm like, you know what? 
I need to get on the field so I can get a fifth year. So why not move to tight end? Our, one of our tight ends had just got a concussion. Uh, first, you know, nine days into camp, my senior year, had to put on 40 pounds in a month and did it. First game, got my first catch. Second game, got my first touchdown. Started every game after that. Got granted a fifth year. Came back, balled out that fifth year and made it undrafted to the NFL. Wow. So that's very impressive. And and you see, you know, athletes in, you know, um, you know, say like an SEC school, right? And they're still not able to do it. You essentially, would you say you hustled your way into the NFL? You hustled with flipping phones and cars and all these other ways. Do you say, do you think you took that same mindset and hustled your way onto a roster? A hundred percent. You know, I knew I was very, what's the word, tactical about it. You know, my biggest motivation, my biggest motivation going into the NFL outside of my little brother who had made it a year prior, you know, as a 20 year old, you know, watching your sibling make it to the NFL. It's an easy, he, he could do it. I could do it type of motivation. But, but after that, my biggest motivation was Chris Hogan, who most, some people don't know. Some people do know. Chris Hogan was a Penn State lacrosse player for four years, transferred to Monmouth, my alma mater, and literally had 12 catches, I believe, and maybe a touchdown or two and played offense and defense. But because he grinded his face off and his pro day, he ran a 4-4 and put up 28 reps at 225. He was able to finesse his way into Miami's camp. That year, they happened to have hard knocks. That year, Reggie Bush gave him the nickname 7-Eleven. Then he kind of got that nickname that kind of stuck. And then he wound up going to the Patriots. And once he was with the Patriots, when, I don't know how many rings he won with Tom, but it was solidified. It was written. He's on his second, third contract now um, and is absolutely dominating it. But him knowing that my story was, it wasn't, I mean, I didn't play Penn State lacrosse for that many years, but I knew that if I was going to make it to the NFL, I had to have a baller pro day. So mm -hmm. from January 1st, through until the draft of 2016, I put, I was literally zero dark 30 mode, like LeBron, like didn't talk to anyone, like lost my girl. Like as soon as I made it to the NFL, my girlfriend dumped me because oh. I was a completely different person because I was in dialed such, in. so dialed in. It was, it was honestly scary. Like 12 to 14 hours a day, I was locked, locked in. There wasn't anything that was too corny, too cool for me to do. It was, I was the cliche first person in, last person out. You know, my body fat went from 18.6% to 9.8% uh, oh, wow. just in that, that time period. And I actually gained weight on top of that. So it was, it was a full-blown transformation. Um, but like, you know, I grinded, hustled my way to the NFL because all it took was one opportunity. The Arizona Cardinals working me out a week before the draft because the assistant GM's son was playing a soccer game on the East Coast and happened to be on the East Coast and was like, Oh, it's actually, you know, it's going to save the, the club some money by me just shooting up to uh, shooting up to Monmouth and working you out for a second. <laughs> Did my thing, balled out, made it to the Cardinals. Like they weren't even at my pro day. Dude, that's awesome. So you got dialed in for that. And from what I'm seeing just from afar, it looks like you're pretty dialed in. Maybe that same type of energy on TikTok and maybe some of these other platforms that, that you're, you're crushing it on. Talk, let's talk about TikTok because that's something that um, I've seen the success in it. You've seen it. Um, at a, a whole new level do you would you compare that you're kind of equally as dialed in so when you were trying to make the nfl roster to kind of putting out content on tiktok right now is there any comparison you could definitely say so um because you know when i was grinding into making it to the nfl i was wildly unemotional about everything it was mm -hmm. 
very just logical about everything. Like, okay, I'm, I can put up seven reps of 225. By April, I should be able to put up 15. If I can put up a rep a week, boom, 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 boom. I'm running X in the 40. By April, I should be able to run four, six or below. Mm -hmm. I'm doing this. I should be able to do that. Um, and then literally just comparing everyone else in my category and okay, I can be better than this person, faster than this person, stronger than that person with TikTok, you know, it's same thing, wildly emotional. I could care less about what my friends think. You know, I was just on, uh, I was just on a, you know, I'm sure a lot of people have their, their group calls they do with their buddies, whether it's with fantasy football or, you know, talking about whatever, but we were, we were at our, our fantasy football weekly FaceTime call and my friends you know razzing me giving me a whole bunch of crap like oh look at your tiktok videos blah blah blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and i'm so it's so funny just about like how unemotional i am about like i could i the same way you go to work take a briefcase and go to work is the same way i treat putting out every single tiktok video because with me you know tiktok for me is how can i bring the most value to my audience by post-producing curating and telling the stories of different you know verticals and facets of content um but my end goal is to just consistently test different theses, prove a point of that the platform works so I can relay that information to my clients, to my future clients, uh, so I can work with them, you know, as the future plays itself out. So it's, I, I love the platform because from, from my own point of view, it seems like the most democratic platform in terms of if it's good content, it'll do well. If it's not good content, it won't do well. And we all, you know, naturally place our subjective thoughts on pieces of content. So TikTok is a, is a nice place to get humbled where, you know, you might take a little bit of extra time to edit a, a video and it does awful. And if you're unemotional about that content, you can be humbled and realize, okay, I maybe need to change this, that, 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 and that. Mm -hmm. But if you're emotional and you put your subjective opinions on every piece of content, then you're gonna be hurt mm -hmm. when a piece of content doesn't do well and maybe not post for a week or two weeks. I see it all the time. Somebody will go viral, mass, like viral, viral, like, hundreds of thousands of views and then the next five videos will get 87 12 15 33 and then they just won't post again for months because they're like oh tiktok doesn't work but it's back to just you know putting your own subjective thoughts on it yeah no i like how you said that and i i can agree as well where it's like the earlier days i you know the past few months especially under COVID, i was like let's let's try to make tiktok work and literally posting three to four times a day, testing new ways. Most of them flop. Some of them got a little bit traction. And then you kind of just narrow down. You have to block out the noise because I kind of got that same, you know, shit from some friends or relatives and they kind of like mock you. But it's like at the end of the day, it's, uh, you know, if I'm winning from that, I'm getting unreal amounts of views that you can't get on any other platform, in my opinion, right now. And you can turn that into a business opportunity you know, you're the, you're the one winning now where you have to block out noise, but also kind of listen to the noise and what's working and, and kind of gear it there. But where do you think TikTok's going? This has been a crazy year for 2020. Like, what do you think the platform's going to be like in a few years? I don't know. Uh, I think TikTok is the future or a TikTok type style of communication is definitely the future. I mean, you could, you saw it really quick. I don't know if you remember when this is for people who are always just on the next wave of attention when TikTok was like early September, when it was looking like in the next day or two, it's going to be gone. There was a platform that popped up called, I believe it was called Byte. I could be wrong. I want to say it was, Dance. no, not Byte. Byte Dance is what is what TikTok is owned by a company uh, called Byte Dance. Yeah. But there was a platform literally just called Byte, either okay. B-I-T-E or B-Y-T-E, but I was on it for like a week right. and I downloaded it 
identical to TikTok. For you page, everything. The biggest creators from TikTok were on it, posting on there, getting followers. It was crazy how, like, I'm literally like, holy shit. This is exactly what Gary Vee talks about when he hops onto a platform very, very early. But then it was literally two days later, it got sold to Oracle and then by just quickly shut, it didn't shut, I don't know if it shut down or not, but all the, the, the viewers and stuff went back to TikTok at the end of the day. But uh, where I think TikTok is going in the future, I don't know, but I do know that the future platform is gonna be in some way, shape or form a TikTok contextual type of platform. Mm -hmm. Because I mean, the data shows 60% of TikTok users right now don't have an Instagram account. Oh, wow. So that like, what do you think all of, like everyone else is on TikTok and they're on YouTube that are in the younger generation that aren't like our generation. So the young creators, the Mark Zuckerbergs, the, uh, what do you call it? Uh, what's his name? Uh, Tom from MySpace. <laughs> all those people, the future, those people are 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22 but they're on TikTok right now. And that's how they understand content. Not like Facebook, not like MySpace, not like Instagram, but in a TikTok style of fashion. And why I'm bullish on it is if you don't know how to communicate, which your average person in our age group has zero, like they know how to consume on TikTok, but your average person does not know how to communicate mm -hmm. in a TikTok type of world. Yeah. So outside of creating business results and things like that, if you can't communicate, like you have no oxygen. Like if you're a business owner, Facebook and Instagram go away tomorrow. How are you going to start producing business results in a TikTok contextual type of fashion? Because you don't know how to, you're, you're, you're vulnerable at the end of the day. Where I see it going, it's the only conceivable threat to Instagram. So, you know, TikTok could drop, have photos in stream tomorrow, and there could be a mass exodus from Instagram over to TikTok. Mm -hmm. Instagram could add or adjust their features again. Like, you know, that we saw them adjust their shop icon with the notifications icon. And on Twitter, the main buzz for a couple of days was, I hate Instagram. I'm getting off of Instagram. Like, why would they change the shopping app? Blah, 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 blah. And then, you know, Instagram is testing in other markets, taking away likes, taking away followers. And I think that that could be enough of a push, you know, to, to challenge the insecure depths of most social platform users to now go, eh, I can't, I can't tap into my social worth through my likes and followers. So why not go to TikTok where I can actually grow faster anyway? So now yeah. I'm putting Instagram to the past. Yeah. And then on top of that, you've got all this legislation and happening, you know, in the government of trying to slow down Facebook in every which way, shape and form, which, you know, I pay attention to from a headline standpoint and understand what's going on, but it's not going to slow me down. But I do think that if they let's say they take away Facebook ads, Instagram ads tomorrow, that's defunding Facebook at the end of the day, which now takes the platform away. So where do I see TikTok going? I don't know. But I do love the democratic fashion of the platform, which I don't think any app has successfully done, which is rewarding you. It's like at its simple like TikTok at its simplest thesis is rewarding you for putting out good content. You yep. can put out the best piece of Star Wars avatar. Avengers like content on Instagram and it's limited to your followers plus less because you're not going to, yeah, the content's not going to be followers. Mm -hmm. But if you put out, you know, the best piece of content, not your own subjective best, but if the audience thinks it's the best piece of content, the audience is going to actually see that content. 
which is something that I, I absolutely love about the, the platform, which allows someone like me who's been producing for the last two years, but haven't had necessarily a breakthrough moment. I've had consistent, steady growth amongst platform to platform to platform since January of 2019. And then, you know, June of 2020 was like gasoline when I really took TikTok serious. Yeah, no, that's, it's super impressive. And it's like with any of these other platforms kind of similar where it's consistent and growing, but then TikTok, like I'm that 26K at the time of this. And it's just like the past few weeks kind of blown up exponentially, but I'm kind of looking at this as like a heavyweight battle uh, boxing match between you, know, the Facebook, and then they'll acquire, you know, Instagram, LinkedIn is in the mix too with that. And, and TikTok, you know, whether they go public, I don't see them ever being acquired by Facebook, but you know, they're, they're in kind of a, you know, world of their own that is kind of dominating right now, which is really interesting to kind of disrupt the social media landscape. Um, but nonetheless, I mean, you know, anything else that you're kind of working on right now or something super excited about or passionate about that you kind of want to give a shout out to? Honestly, with, I've been so heads down on TikTok for this last month. Like that's literally, no one say it's all I think about breathe, sleep and dream, but outside of TikTok, it's, it is LinkedIn, you know, business mm -hmm. results. I think a lot of people still, still sleep on LinkedIn mm -hmm. wildly. Like I'm having conversations with, you know, potential future clients and we're building out TikTok strategy. And then when I asked them, like, are you guys on LinkedIn? And they say, no, I'm like, why aren't you on LinkedIn? Like LinkedIn, I think in the year 2020, now going into 2021, is like, I think every, sing, every single business should be on LinkedIn in, in some way, shape or form, whatever you do. If you're a singer, artist, if you're a, an entrepreneur, if you're a retail store, if you're a B2B, if you're an author, if you're sell jewelry, anything. I think every, like because of the organic reach, I think the last, could be wrong. This is a podcast I may have listened to months ago and I don't even know what the date of that podcast was, but this was the data that I heard on LinkedIn globally, there's 800 million daily active users, 0.05%, mm -hmm. which is 40 million of the 800 million actually produce content on a consistent basis. Mm -hmm. So back to organic reach comparable is LinkedIn's organic reach is comparable to TikTok. Obviously the function, uh, the functionality of its homepage, you know, if TikTok has for you, LinkedIn actually has just a regular homepage, but the content, the way it works on LinkedIn, it's like a pyramid scheme. You post, yep your first piece of content. If I like it, all my connections see it. And then if, if any of them like it, their connections see it. And if any of them like it, their connections see it. But the opportunity for organic growth and organic reach, it's scary. All the people you want to meet, know, get in touch with on LinkedIn, it is wildly, wildly, I wouldn't, you could say easy, but if you can figure out a way to reverse engineer and actually bring them value, it's wildly easy to actually connect with them and uh, figure out a way to produce business results. Yeah, no, to that. So I pulled up some stats as well, because I'm a big advocate. That was the platform I actually grew the fastest on. I have about 13K and been big preaching on it. it the engagement has dropped, I would say the past six months, but before that consistently every day, you know, posting, it would get 10 to 15 to plus K views consistently. But here's some stats. The number one um, channel for B2B marketers, only 3 million LinkedIn users share content every week, but there are 675 million users on LinkedIn. So it's underserved with the creators. Some other crazy stats to be pulled up. Oh, five. I'm almost positive. I'm six, thinking of yeah. Six out of 10 users 
actively look for industry insight. So people are going out of their way to look for content, not just coming to you. Something else interesting to mention, 280 billion feed updates are viewed annually. Professional contents get 15 times more content impressions than job posts with 57% consuming content on mobile. Um, LinkedIn makes up more than 50% of all traffic to B2B websites and blogs. 41% of millionaires use LinkedIn and LinkedIn message ads deliver a 40% conversion rate. There's a few other stats, but those are kind of some mind boggling mm -hmm. ones where, you know, as an individual, you can put yourself as a thought leader very quickly on a subject matter that you're probably learning on the way. That's real. And I think this is a, this is my best tip for LinkedIn. Sometimes I'm cautious on giving it out, but I don't even care. Now it's like, if you don't do this, you're a fool. And I'm that bold on that piece of advice that you're a fool if you don't do this. Anyone you want to meet on LinkedIn to create business results on the back end, if you can get them to connect with you with some type of one sentence, three sentence message, uh, after you actually connect with them, send them a video. Mm -hmm. Hey, Nick, happy to be connected with you and in your network. First Hope my content can be value. I run a TikTok consulting agency. I see you do X, Y, and Z. I think we can blah, 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 blah. Doing that at scale versus cold calling versus emailing versus DMing versus spamming versus whatever. It is from one man's point of view, one man's opinion, who does it at scale. Nothing, nothing in my business works better than that. Yeah. And that's a fact And LinkedIn. That's how I pretty much got into all my podcast guests and reaching out and kind of being genuine and personalizing the messages. You can see a lot of these automation tools that could work at some point, but it is very easy to tell if someone is not personalizing and doing that one extra minute of research saying, Hakeem, I saw you went to Monmouth University or did X, Y, and Z. That, that little extra few seconds makes- It matters. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Akeem, I know we could go on for hours, but I kind of want to wrap it up here. Is there any way that, you know, what's the best way for people listening to connect with you? Um, if you want to give a shout out to your, your handles. Oh yeah. I mean, LinkedIn is just Hakeem Vallis. Uh, TikTok is Hakeem Vallis as well. Um, you know, Instagram, Twitter, my, my handles are H-A-K and then my last name Vallis and then the number 80 uh, on those platforms. Uh, but I try and get back to all my DMs and messages ASAP. So don't hesitate to reach out. Amazing. So thank you so much for joining on. I'm looking forward to continue with the collaboration, seeing how TikTok grows and how you kind of continue to grow your business from social and all you're doing. So thank you so much for joining on. No problem, man. You got have a great week, brother. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Sports Biz Pod with Hakeem Valles. Be sure to follow on Spotify and subscribe on Apple Podcasts so you can stay up to date whenever we release our next episode. Sugar Ray Leonard. Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in a new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series now streaming on Showtime.